Um, if you got a Bible, good job. The end. Um, no. If, if, open up to Revelation chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Do you need a Bible? Who needs a Bible? To read along? We need a few. Alexander, the man, the Bible man, is going to run and get us some Bibles. I haven't preached out of Revelation in a while. What? It's not, but I, I, it's my nice one. It's my preaching Bible, so I keep it in the case just to keep it from getting scratched and stuff. It is, it is, but I, I, I'm not mocking, I'm just joking. Um, I keep it in a box to keep it. There's a sermon in there somewhere about keeping things that are precious and keeping them safe. Um, yeah, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Uh, we don't really have any announcements to speak of uh, today. The offering box is up here on the stump. That's the offering stump, I guess, now that I've said that is. Um, we appreciate your, your gifts and your tithes and offerings, and as always. And, oh, Paul and I are going to be in Chaska. If anybody feels like driving down to Chaska, the next three Wednesdays, Paul and I are going to be doing um, a service down there Wednesday evenings. I believe it's 6 to 8. But if you're interested in um, driving down or if you know somebody down there, um, church on a Hill, I believe, is the name of the church, but uh, it'll be in the update if you want to check that out. Um, give me one sec. As most of you know, I have a medical condition related to heat, part of which means that I, well, one of the issues is heat, that I don't uh, have any way to cool myself off naturally, so I have to cool myself off artificially. And so I will be employing Nate Johnston cool-off method number 13, which is ice water on a wet hat. Uh, there's probably a theory. I don't know. It's always hard to tell in this house um, where things are. So please, um, please don't be offended by the wearing of a hat in church by the preacher. Hopefully that doesn't offend you. Um, if it does, we can preach on offense later on how being offended is your choice. And it's not a choice you should make. Sorry, that sounded really judgy. Um, is that also offensive? There's many things about this. I mean, some people would be offended by the shorts, um, the sandals maybe. Although Jesus wore sandals, that's hard to argue against. But um, All right, let's look at the word. This is going to be, um, I want to start out by saying, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Sometimes preachers take sermon time as an opportunity to address problems in the church. And this isn't one of those sermons. So I don't want you to be looking around thinking, who is he talking about? I bet, it, I bet it's him. He's probably the one that Nate's preaching to. Because that's not what it's about. But at the same time, I do think that this is an issue that we all um, need to be aware of um, in the world, but also in our own hearts. And I think um, the Holy Spirit will probably convict all of us. He certainly did me um, in this message. So Revelation 12 I'd like you to, before you look at that verse, give me a job description for the devil. Shout out a brief, like, it's just phrases. Steal, pillage, destroy, deceiver, accuser of the brethren. He read ahead. Good job. What, what else? Other things? Make us doubt? Yeah. Good. I mean, not good. Bad. But 
the enemy. Yeah, he's, he's the enemy. He's the enemy of our souls. I'm going to bathe up here. Um, oh, yeah, that's the stuff right there. Um, and then in Revelation 12, hey, thank you, Blake. It says this. I think this is, in our day, probably the primary job description of the devil. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Okay, so that's, that's a job description of the enemy of the devil, is the accuser of the brethren, who accused them, who's them? Us, the church, God's people. He accused them day and night. So what is the devil doing day and night? He's not running around um, offering Faustian deals to people in a, in a hard place or whatever else literature and cartoons would make us believe the devil is doing. He is focusing on accusing us, God's people. He did that in Job. A poignant example, and he does it all the time now, day and night, all the time. Okay, so hold on to that for a sec, and then give me a job description of Jesus today. What is Jesus doing today? Ruling, interceding, king, interceding, keeping his promises. Yeah, preparing his bride. Good. Loving us. Absolutely. Those are all good ones. Um, Hebrews 7.25. Let's flip there. And he is doing all those things, by the way. The devil is not infinite. He can't do a million things at once. God is infinite, so he can do a million things at once. Just one of the many things that makes God awesome. Hebrews 7, verse 25. He's been talking about Jesus as our high priest and who he is in our lives today, what he does today. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the utmost, in other words, completely save those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So what is Jesus doing right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, as it says in the Bible and in the Creed. Occasionally, he stands up. St. Stephen saw him stand right before he was stoned. I believe Jesus stood up to welcome Stephen in. That's what I think. But most of the time, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. So he has God's ear. That's, that's a kingly metaphor back in the day. Whoever was seated at your right hand, they have your ear. They're, they're the ones who lean over and, t and whisper to you all the time, right? You've seen that in movies and stuff. And so that's what Jesus does, metaphorically here, before God the Father. So Jesus is always interceding for us. That's what he does. Day and night, he intercedes for us. And so we've got two team captains, both of which spend their time before God talking about us. Interesting, right? The devil spends that time accusing us, tearing us down. Jesus spends that time interceding for us, building this up. So let me ask you this. Whose team are you playing for? Now, the Sunday school answer, we all say Jesus, right? We're on team Jesus. But I want you to think as we go through this, because what I have found is that oftentimes I have unknowingly gone up to bat for team devil. 
instead of Team Jesus. So I want to submit to you as my thesis today that there are only two main ministries that exist. I'm one of those people that likes to break everything down into two categories. Okay, So here's one of those. Two job descriptions. There's the accuser and the intercessor. Okay, The accuser, the devil, the one who tears down things that tear down. And the intercessor, things that build up. Okay, And at any given moment, we can only be operating on one of those teams. And I would suggest to you that although we always want to be on Team Jesus, in reality, by the things that we say, because remember, these are all words. Accusations are words. Intercessions are words. We're talking about words this morning. We're talking about what comes out of our mouth. The tongue is a fire, the Bible says. And that's a good thing or a dangerous thing, right? So we have to be careful. And so at any given time, we're playing for one side or the other. And I think what we do often is we go back and forth. And we don't realize that we're doing that. I'm not saying that anyone puts on a Team Satan jersey and says, let's go, and then starts accusing the, 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 the brethren, other Christians. Okay, That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he dupes us. That's what the devil does, right? He's the father of lies. He tricks. How do you think the devil is, quote, accusing them before the Father, day and, before God, day and night. How does the devil do that? Is he up in heaven? I thought he was cast down. What's going on? You know what I think? I don't think the devil is up in heaven accusing. I think he does this through intermediaries who have access to the presence of God at all times. Who has access to the presence of God at all times? We do. I believe the way the devil accuses other Christians and tries to tear them down before one another and before God is that he uses us to do it. We have access to the throne of God. We have been given that access through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are there at all times in the spiritual sense, and we can be there in our mind as we focus on God. Like we just were in worship. We were just there, okay, so to speak, in worship. And we don't need to get sci-fi about interdimensionality and all that kind of stuff, although I do like that. But we are simultaneously here on earth and citizens of heaven, right? We, we have that dual existence because God lives within us. We're a hybrid creature of human and God now. That's what it means when we were saved. God placed his spirit inside us. We are a new creature, a new creation, the Bible says, something different, a new creature than existed before. And so we have access to the spiritual. We have access to heaven. And the devil knows that, and he doesn't have the kind of access we have. And so he dupes us, he tricks us, he tempts us into using that access to do his dirty work. And it ticks me off, and I don't want to do it anymore. And hopefully uh, you don't either. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, I'm with you. Preach at me. Okay. Um, so at any one time, I think we can be operating either with Jesus and interceding and building up and speaking love, speaking kindness, speaking good things, even about people we disagree with or in situations that we don't like. Or we can be accusing and we can be reacting negatively to those things. Um, the name of Satan's game is division, right? He likes to divide the body of Christ. And I'm talking about the body of Christ, like with a big C, all Christians. But it's true for us as a body, and it's true in our own individual lives and our families as well. And we'll look at that in a little bit. 
but it doesn't matter if you're justified in the things that you accuse somebody of, the things that you say against somebody, like, oh, such and such a church over there is terrible because. Or, oh, I heard this preacher, and he was horrible. I didn't like him because. Or I have a friend who used to really walk with the Lord, and now she's not because of this and this and that. And we say these things. We say things. Are those things building up? No, all those things are tearing down. Those are tearing down. Those are team devil things. We have to be very careful about what we say and what we do. Even if we're justified in our accusations, even if what we're saying, this person has this theology and that is terrible, that might be a fact. But are we saying that in love? Are we speaking the truth in love? Is that our aim? A lot of times, evangelicals especially, and I consider myself in that, in that group, um, we focus on the speak the truth part and not the, uh, not the in love part. We need to speak the truth in love. Without love, even if what we're saying is true, it's not good. It's bad. Jesus could accuse us all day long, right? There's a lot of true things that Jesus could say about us. You know, Nate, Nate is lazy, God. You know, I mean, I know we love him, but he's a real problem, that Nate. And he could go on and on. He, he's, he's not living up to his potential. He's, he's always distracted. And he could say all these things that are true things. Jesus could say all those true things. And we often do that to other Christians, other people. We say these things that are true. Well, what I'm saying is right. Their theology is bad. Their church shouldn't be doing this, blah, blah, blah. And we think we're justified in saying it because it's correct. But it doesn't matter if it's correct. Jesus could say a lot of correct things about us. And he doesn't. He doesn't say any of those things. He hides those things behind the cross. And he only tells God to, that he wants to step in on our behalf and take any of those bullets that should be coming our way. And that he, he wants God to bless us and to fill us and to love us. These are the things Jesus is telling the Father, always living to make intercession for us. So he's not telling God the truth. And that is called love. Everybody with me? Am I, am I throwing anybody off here? If, if, if let's, say there's a, there's, let's say there's another church in town that is um, teaching something that I think is really bad. Bad theology, okay? Or bad practice, one of the two. Let's say bad practice. Um, and I'm like, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. That is so terrible. Um, th those, are, those are negative things. Now, I could instead speak the truth but in love and say, you know, I, d I don't agree with that particular way of doing it. I prefer this because I think this is what Jesus wants us to do. There's more life here. There's more of the love of God here. So this is what I, I would prefer to do over that. See, so I'm still saying what that is isn't right or isn't good. It's not wrong to, to make a judgment on those things. But what's wrong is how we so often do it. We do it in a divisive way, in a tearing down way, in a way that um, makes it us and them. And that's not the way Jesus set it up for us to do. He didn't set up, didn't set up the church for us to accuse one another and tear one another down, he set up the church for us to build each other up, to bless each other. And yes, sometimes that means correction. Jesus had some things to say to the Pharisees, you'll recall, okay? But he did that in a way that was redemptive. He did that in the way to say, this is the way, this is the truth over here. You're missing the truth, and you need to come this way. He didn't say, you are the worst human being ever. And you are a terrible person. He didn't, he didn't come against individuals. He didn't accuse individuals. Even the woman caught in adultery, who 
had nothing to say because everybody found her, found her. Jesus knew what she had done. And he'd say, then neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Jesus isn't the accuser. The Holy Spirit does convict of sin. Okay? That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. We don't do that. That's not our job. Our job is not to convict other people of their sin. And I used to think it was. And in college, I would take it upon myself to try to convict people of their sin and get them to realize the error of their ways. And guess what? It never worked. It caused more division, and it made sure that if they ever were to turn and start to come towards God, they definitely wouldn't come talk to Nate about it. Because I was the judgy, mean, jerk guy. Not the loving, gentle guy. Galatians 6.1. You can flip there if you want. Galatians 6.1. This is good. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And that, that last phrase there, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, I think that, that can in part mean tempted by whatever they did, whatever sin they got into. But I think more than that, I think what it means is don't be tempted to yell at them, judge them, accuse them, and tear them down. Don't be tempted to tear people down even when they screw up. I think that's what Paul is saying. Because what he says right before that is, you who are spiritual, which should be all of us, right? That, that should include everybody here. You who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And this is someone who is caught in a transgression, so some sort of major sin. And we're not supposed to tear them down. The Holy Spirit accuses, not us. We are not supposed to tear them down. We're not supposed to say, I told you so. We're not supposed to say, well, it's, it's no wonder you did that because you live your life this way or do this or whatever. Or it's that woman you gave me, God. We're not supposed to accuse like that. We never have an excuse to tear others down, even when they have screwed up. Because Jesus doesn't tear us down even when we screwed up. Amen? And we're supposed to be his body now on earth. And so we need to be about building back up. And so in Galatians, he says, you who are spiritual should restore the person. That's the aim. The aim is to restore in gentleness, not in harshness, not in religion or Phariseeism or any of that, not in accusation, not in condemnation, but in love. And so we need to be careful about how we talk about other Christians, other churches. Obviously, celebrities are an easy target, right? Joel Olstein, et cetera, et cetera. Bill Johnson, et cetera, et cetera. Mike Bickle, et cetera, et cetera. Greg Boyd, et cetera, et cetera. John Piper, et cetera, et cetera. We, we know these names, many of them. And there's websites devoted to tearing these people down. Websites that Christians have built, that Christians have put their blood, sweat, and tears into. And they're on Team Devil doing it. That's not good. Now, if I found somebody that was doing this, I need to be careful lest I be tempted to judge them for judging and to tear them down for tearing down somebody else. I think that's what Paul's talking about there. Careful. <laughs> be careful. Check yourself, okay? But restore that person in gentleness. And obviously, I don't need to mention the big issues of our day. You know, abortion, homosexuality, all, all these, all these kind of issues that Christians disagree about many times. Sometimes adamantly, sometimes by demonizing the other person and by hating 
people with opposite views of theirs. We need to be really careful because our job is not to accuse our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, the Lord convicted me, this was a number of years ago. Um, I, I had been, I'd gotten fed up with the church, kind of the, the institutional church in America. And I looked at a lot of things and I'm like, man, the church is not what it's supposed to be. It's not what I see in here. It, it, it's, it's screwing up. It's doing all this stuff wrong. And so I got, I got quite negative about the church. I got quite negative about how we weren't doing our job. And I was vocal about it. And I spoke about it to other people, anybody who would listen. I would gripe and complain. Very godly, right? Um, well, I believe I was right in almost everything I said. Even today, I look back at that, and I think I was correct on most of my... Um, I don't know what you would, most of my judgments, but judgment in not a bad way. Like, that is a green bush, that kind of a judgment, right? Not a negative judgment. Um, and I think I was correct in most of those, but I didn't go about the next step in the right way. I didn't go about it in a godly way. I went about it in the way that's tearing down. It's just negative. It's just tearing down. Accusing, accusing, tearing down. And I didn't realize I was doing this, okay? Um, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you know, Nate, I don't like the way you've been talking about my bride. And it shocked me. Like, what? What are you talking about? And then I think sometimes the Spirit of the Lord says things to you, and sometimes he, like, reveals things and helps you see something you didn't see before. And all of a sudden, I, I thought about my wife. I, you know, just gotten married, like, a couple years before. And I thought, what if people were saying things against her? What if I went somewhere and these people are just bad-mouthing Sarah and talking all this crap about her? How would I feel? How would I react? I'd be tempted to do a little five-fold ministry is what I'd be tempted to do, right? Okay? Like, that's not okay. And God was like, this is my bride you're talking about. The church isn't perfect. She makes mistakes. She's not all there yet, but she is my bride, and I love her, and I can't stand the way you're talking about her right now. And I was like, whoa. I was like, it was one of those times where you just get messed up and, like, weep and beg for forgiveness and want to rip your clothes and dump ashes on you or something. It was, like, one of those really big deals. And I was like, wow. And... Ever since then, I've, I've been more careful about what I say, about the church and about other people. And having kids now, one of the things I dislike the most that my kids do is they say bad things about each other. They call each other names. They say things to each other that are mean and are cutting and are tearing down, or they say things about each other behind their backs that are mean and that are tearing down. That's not Team Jesus. That's Team Devil. And when I see my kids do that to each other, that's, I don't like that. I correct that immediately because that is not okay. And that is what we do <clears throat> oftentimes is we are accusing our brothers and sisters. And God our Father is looking down and he doesn't like this. This is a big deal to him. And I don't just mean the big names who write books or the big churches. I, it could be within, within this church, within this fellowship. 
And no, I'm not thinking of a specific thing that I'm like passive aggressively trying to teach about. Okay, that's not what's going on here. Like I said earlier. Um, or it could be within our own family or at our workplace. <laughs> here's, here's an easy one. Softball, right? How many of you love to make fun of your boss? Pop. That's an easy one. It's like a slow pitch out there. Bang. It's America's pastime. Hate your boss. Mock your boss. Talk about how terrible your boss is. How much they don't understand anything. And if you were running things, man, things would be better. Right? And we talk about it to our coworkers. We complain about it to our spouse at home. It's America's like favorite pastime. Maybe right before baseball even is hating our boss, tearing him down, cutting him down. Is that what we should do? Now, maybe something the boss is doing is bad or isn't right or isn't good. But how do we respond, even when we're justified, even when what they're doing is bad? We don't accuse and complain and bicker and undermine them behind their backs. That's what the devil does. Right? We do what Jesus did. We intercede. We pray for the guy we don't like. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You ever heard that verse? Right? I'm not making new stuff up here. This is, this is old stuff. Right? but I'm trying to put it into our, day, our daily life. Maybe we can instead pray for that person at work. Maybe it's not our boss, maybe it's just a coworker. But instead of complaining about them behind their back or once we get home, maybe we could instead pray for them behind their back. Ask God to help us know what can I say, what can I do to bless this person, to help this person, to build this person up instead of tearing this person down. And did you have something? Uh, well, that's, that's one that I was hesitating to bring up. But thank you for doing it so that I can't be blamed, because I wrote four pages on it. I actually, I, I wrote a long article about this when Obama was president. And the need for Christians to stop accusing and to stop tearing down and to stop berating and to stop complaining about the president. And I think this is true about everybody, all of our leaders. Now, I disagreed with President Obama about most of his politics, okay? But my job is not to berate him. My job is not to tear him down. He's my president. Why would I want to tear him down? Why would I not want him to be blessed, to come into greater revelation, to understand more of God's truth? Why would I not want that? I should want that. If I don't want that, if I want vengeance, if I want fire and brimstone, there's something wrong with me. Remember James and John? People were rejecting Jesus, mocking him. They're like, should we call down fire on them, Lord? Yeah! Let's cook these suckers. And Jesus is like, oh, guys, I love you so much, but you, you don't seem to understand which spirit you are from. That's what Jesus says. You don't know which spirit you are from. You are from the Holy Spirit, not the enemy. You don't burn them. <laughs> you pray for them. You turn the other cheek. You put yourself out so that you can help them. That's what Jesus did. That's what he asks us to do. If they say, carry my stuff a mile, you carry it too. And you don't complain the whole time. Bloody Romans. No, you just carry the soldier's stuff. And that will be a witness to them. Are you with me? 
But I, I feel like we do this. I know I've done this many times. And it's not just the president. That's, that's another softball target. The president is easy. Politics is easy. Washington. Um, our boss is an easy one. But, but I'm concerned that we do it also about friends and family. We do it with people at work. We do it with our own family. Do we, do we talk badly about our spouse or our kids in front of other people? Instead of speaking well of them and honoring them, even when they're not around, do we dishonor them when they're not around? Do we complain about it? Or our kids? It's, it's tough as parents of little kids to not commiserate with other parents of little kids about the difficulties of, of, of raising little ones. But, but it's, it's easy for that commiseration to turn into complaining, to turn into cutting them down, tearing them down. I don't want to tear down my kids. I want to build them up. I don't want to tear down my wife. I want to build her up. I don't want to tear down my siblings, my parents, especially because they're right here. It'd be awkward. But people, we do this, I think. We do this behind people's backs. And sometimes we do it to their face. Sometimes we, we just flat out say things that are intended to hurt, things that we know might hurt, things that we know might cut, things that we know might win the argument for us. Hey, I won the argument. Yeah, well, you shot your best friend to win the argument. Is that, is that winning? I feel like no. I feel like no. Um, open up your Bibles to Isaiah. Flip back to Isaiah chapter 58. So I'd like us to, to think and ask ourselves, are we building up or are we tearing down, particularly in the things that we say? Because if we're tearing down, then, then we're not playing for the right team. And again, I'm not saying we're intentionally playing for the devil or serving Satan or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he tricks us into making us feel justified in saying something negative, something that'll tear down, something that'll cut, something that'll accuse And we need to be aware of this so that we don't fall for that anymore. Isaiah 58. This is the passage that God used to bring me around on this issue. And when I read it, I was like, how have I never read this verse in my life? Or this passage in my life? This is crazy. I'm going to start with verse 1, Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare... To my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me forgive, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. So these, these are people who are trying to do right, okay? They're trying to do good. They're, they're trying their best to do, to do what God wants them to do. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no advantage of it? Take no knowledge of it, sorry. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppose and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I chose? A day for a person, is not the fast that I chose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed 
and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer and you shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst. So all the passage has been leading to this. All this good stuff will happen just like you want if you do this. Take away the yoke from your midst. The pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. So these are people who are trying their best to follow the Lord. They really are. But they're not walking in the blessings of God and they don't know why. They don't get it. They're missing something. I, have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like you call on the Lord, but he doesn't seem to answer? You want to draw closer to the Lord. You truly desire to draw closer to the Lord, but it doesn't seem to be happening. It doesn't seem to be working. Are you ever amazed that the church of Jesus Christ seems to be barely making a dent on society instead of radically changing it? I think God points it out right here. Why is it not working? The pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness. We're playing on the accuser's team, oftentimes. And we don't know it. They didn't know it. They didn't get it. And God called this a yoke. A yoke is like what you put two oxen in. Like Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He is saying that you have a yoke. You've yoked yourself. You've connected yourself to something that's not good. And that thing is this spirit of accusation, of negativity, of tearing down instead of building up. It's the pointing of the finger. They did this. They are this way. And speaking wickedness about them. And God said, because you're doing that, you're not going to be able to walk into all the blessings I want. That's kind of scary. Right? That's kind of scary stuff. Um, I don't want to miss out and on what God has for me for any reason. And I certainly don't want to be doing anything that inadvertently puts me on the wrong team. Right? And so uh, I think we as a church need to remove this yoke from our midst. I think we as a church tend to be very divisive. We tend to be very accusatory. We don't get along very well with each other, let alone the world. I mean, why should the world listen to us if we can't even get along with each other, right? It's kind of, it's very sad. It's very sad. Especially since Jesus' last prayer for us was, Father, let them be one as you and I are one. And we're doing our best to fight against that. That's what the devil is doing. He's trying to get that division. He's trying to get us to fight against each other. Not just as a church as a whole, but us as a community and our families. Everything starts at home. He's trying to bring division to our families. He's trying to get us to fight against each other, to speak ill of each other, to hurt each other, to point the finger, to blame. And that's a tough one, because what if the other person is wrong? We're still not justified to point the finger, even if they are wrong. We can speak the truth in love and say, you know, this thing that we're doing, or this way that you're doing this, I, 
I love you, okay? But I'm not sure that this is the best way to do it. Can we talk about that for a minute? We can confront in love. We don't have to confront in war. We don't have to point the finger and speak with wickedness. Um, I've, I've had a number of people come up to me over the many years and say, you know, my relationship or my family is, is terrible. It's, it's, it's going downhill. It's, it's, just, it's just awful. I'm like, well, what do you think is wrong? What do you think the problem is? And without exception, that person launches into a whole list of things that are pointing the finger and speaking wickedness about the other person or other people in their family. I say, what's wrong? And they say, this, 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 this. This person does this, and they do this, and they are this way. And every single time I say, all that you said might be true, but from what I'm hearing, the problem is you. Because you are pointing the finger and speaking wickedness against the other person. You're accusing them. You're tearing them down right, in, right to me. You just tore them down. And if my, my question of what is wrong, you say what's wrong, you, you're, you're doing this. If you stop doing that, if you focus on building up, on interceding, on speaking in love, on trying to help them, trying to build up your family, your kid, whatever it is that the conflict is, if you focus on building them up, blessing them, interceding for them, instead of saying bad things, accusing them, talking about them behind their back, et cetera, et cetera, things are going to change. I can't guarantee you they will change everything they do because they have free will and I'm not in control of their life. <laughs> but I can tell you that you will better your life and your situation if you are doing the right thing. If we respond to a bad situation by doing the wrong thing, it only makes it worse, right? This is Sunday school stuff, right, guys? It only makes it worse. We have to respond in the godly way. When someone hits us on the other cheek, we turn the other cheek. We say, whoa, what was that about? What's wrong? I'm sensing a lot of anger based on your cheek slapping. Can we talk about this? Did something happen? What is going on? Okay. So... Obviously, I'd like to address the issue to the church as a whole, but I think it has to start with us. It has to start in our real lives. It has to start with us, with me, being willing to humble myself and say, God, I do this sometimes. I didn't realize it. I didn't try to play for Team Satan. But I accuse. I tear down. I use my words and my finger, my attitude. I use these things to cut. I use these things so that I can win. I use these things to put me in a better spot instead of using my words and my attitudes and my intentions to build other people up and to bless them because that's what we're supposed to do. If we can start doing that in our own heart, and God really wants to help us with this, by the way. He loves to help us to become more like Jesus. It's like his favorite because Jesus is the Father's favorite. And because we have been placed in Christ, we are now his favorite too. And so if he can make us look even more like Jesus, that is a win all day long for God. The Father does not hesitate to help us become more like Jesus. And so I encourage us to, to open ourselves up to the Spirit of God, to say, okay, Lord, will you show me where I'm doing this? Lord, am I doing this? Will you show me? Will you convict me? And if I do it again, will you say, hey, that was that accusing thing that you're doing. Don't do that. God's not going to judge. He's not going to come in and condemn. 
right? But he will judge and say what you've done is bad. And you asked me to remind you when you did it, so here I am reminding you. Don't do that, please. He works with our conscience, right? So I ask the Holy Spirit all the time, when I'm trying to change behavior, changing behavior is hard. When I try to change behavior, I ask the Holy Spirit, show me when I'm doing it. Better yet, show me right before I do it so that I don't do it. That would be awesome. And eventually it does get that way. Eventually, as you cooperate with the Holy Spirit, it strengthens your conscience. It strengthens your inner man so that right before you're about to say that thing that you would just love to say to that person, you don't. This is, it's, it's, this is tough with roommates. I've experienced this a lot with roommates. Sarah being my roommate of almost 20 years now. Um, it's easy to jump in and want to say something. And we have to choose beforehand that we are not going to say something that's going to cut the other person down. And even behind their back. Yeah, Ann. It's replacing it. Yep, you replace the negative with the positive. Learning how to stop a behavior is really difficult. But it's easier to learn how to replace a behavior with something else. So we try to replace the negativity with positivity. And I'm not talking about pie-in-the-sky, hippy-dippy positivity stuff. I'm talking about real interceding, blessing, desiring that you can partner with God to be a blessing or a help in this person's life. That's tough when you don't like the person right now or have never liked them or consider them your enemy. That makes it really difficult, which is why Jesus says multiple times, hey, pray for your enemies, okay? Love them because it's hard to do. Yeah, Kathy? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, keep reading. Keep reading in Isaiah 58. We're at, uh, Paul's going to be preaching next week, but um, keep reading in Isaiah 58. The list of things that you get by making by making this one switch in your life to not speak bad about other people, but instead build them up instead of tearing down. That one exchange gets you a whole lot. It's it's a fairly small investment, and it has a huge rate of return. Like read that list of stuff in Isaiah 58. And God's not yelling at the people, even here. He's certainly not yelling at us, but he's not yelling at them here either. He's not saying, hey, idiots, what's your deal? He's saying, I want to give you all these blessings. I have so much stuff I want to give you. Just stop it so I can give you these blessings. Please, stop it. I want to bless you. This isn't hard. Be nicer to each other. Come on. Okay? Sometimes I feel like that's how God is. He's obviously way more patient than that. He doesn't yell, but yeah, go ahead.
Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. How do we go about interacting with things that we see that are wrong, that we think are bad, that we disagree with? We, at times we do need to speak, and at times we need to address it. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it, it, how, to, how to deal with that, speak the truth of love and all that, it, there's two different types of situation. One is when you're dealing with a specific person, when the issue is with the person, the way a person is acting, person is behaving, etc. And that Jesus talks about in, or Paul talks about, and he says, go to the person by themselves and just talk to them about it in love. And if they don't receive it, bring a couple friends, do a little intervention, right? And bring some friends and in love say, we're really concerned about this, that you're doing. It's not good for you. It's not good for others, et cetera, et cetera. And if they still don't listen to it, then you bring it to the leaders of the church. And you let them discern what it is they should do. So that's how we act when it's a person. Um, that's how we're supposed to act. In reality, what we usually do is we go around and badmouth the person. You know? Like, I, you'd be amazed how many times I've heard people badmouth um, like Christian authors and preachers and stuff like that. I'm like, you've never even met this guy. Like, how dare you badmouth this person? Like, she's actually an awesome person. You may disagree with what she said or misunderstood what she said, but she's great. Like, why are you badmouthing them? That's not okay. If you want to go and talk to them personally about the issue you have, that would be different because that's what the Bible says. The other issue is something that is not really personal. They're like issues, right? And I think that's, that's really where the rubber meets the road is disagreeing with people or with issues in a way that's loving, that de depersonalizes it. So, you know, we talk about hate the sin, love the sinner, but we're terrible at doing it. Because the people feel very condemned while we're trying to love them. And if people feel really condemned while you're trying to love them, something's not going well, right? Um, if we see things in, in politics, in, in our land, that we think is wrong, it, it's not wrong to judge that in the sense of thinking critically. This tree is green. The leaves, at least. That part is kind of a brown color. That's, that's a judgment that's not bad to do. That's normal. We, we, we have to be able to do that in life. And so we th see things in our world that are bad, that are wrong. So what do we do? Well, we can talk about them in a way that isn't as negative, that isn't cutting down, that isn't tearing apart, but that is trying to build. So instead, we can reframe um, the debate or reframe how it is that we interact with it and say, you know, I, I disagree with that. I disagree with the way this is happening. I have a desire to see 
this change and to see these people better. And I don't think this is going to accomplish that. I think we need to do something else. But instead, you turn on the news one time and it's just screaming and personal attacks. And you're an idiot. You're a white supremacist because you want to do this thing that has nothing to do with race. <laughs> you're Hitler. That's the best one on the internet. Everybody's Hitler. It's, it's nuts. Like, that's, that's not how we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're supposed to be different. The world is supposed to see the way we disagree and the way we confront each other and go, wow, that was beautiful. The way you just confronted each other over this really important issue that is very big and deep to both of you. And I feel like you actually like each other at the end of it, even if you still disagree. That's what I would like to see. But I'd like to see it especially at home and at work, where the rubber meets the road. And I'm not saying that if someone's bad-mouthing Trump and you agree with everything they say, that you should lie and say, no, he's awesome because of this, or vice versa, whatever it is. I'm not saying you should lie or do anything else, but you don't have to join the negativity either. As all our mamas taught us, if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say anything at all. Did anyone's mama not teach them that? I'm sure you've learned it at this point. <laughs> let's, do, let's do one more and then we got to close. Mm -hmm. Yep, and I think that is, that is something that all humans have struggled with forever. I mean, when the, the, the famous missionary analogy is that when the British missionaries went in to colonize and to evangelize the dark continent of Africa, they taught people about Jesus, and they taught people how to read and to read the Bible and everything, and they also taught them that you wear these kind of button-up shirts and slacks, you sit in pews, you face this direction, you have tea at 2.30 in the afternoon. That is how you be a Christian. And some of those things are good. <laughs> Others are irrelevant, right? So they taught them themselves. And they didn't distinguish between opinions, in this case their own culture, and what was really true, what was really important. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter where you sit. It doesn't matter what time you have tea or never drink tea in your life. <laughs> right? None of those things matter. And... And so it, it's important for us to, to do that, I think, I agree, to, to understand what is our opinion and what is not, or what can we just let go for now. Again, it's not wrong to say this is what I think, but there's this is what I think and this is what I know is true because it's in here.
Right. Yeah. I think that's good. Yep, it's it's important. It's important that we don't just say, "Oh, the devil made me do it." That's that's not the excuse. We are accountable for what we do, for what we say, especially. So, let's close in prayer. Father God, um we just humble ourselves before you now and we admit that we are really desiring to become more like Jesus. And that like, like your people Israel here in the Isaiah passage, sometimes there's things that we just don't get, we haven't seen, we, ha- we haven't comprehended. And if this topic today is one of those things for people here, I pray that you would help um, this word to sink in. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal to us the places in our lives that we're doing this, when we're tearing down, when we're speaking negatively, when we're um, not loving and not building up even when it's hard, even when we disagree with the person. Teach us how to hold our tongue when we should hold our tongue. We thank you, Jesus, that you do not accuse us. You have every right to do so. You have every right to accuse us before the Father day and night, but you don't. You intercede. Jesus, we want to be more like you. Teach us how to hold our tongue, even when we have a right to say something. Give us the wisdom and the leading to know when to say something. And make it super obvious that we should say something. So I think it's better to err on the side of not. We ask that you would guide us in this. Show us when we've made mistakes. Help us to correct. Help us to be quick to forgive. And help us to be quick to apologize. Oh, what I said, that was, that was a little harsh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that was a little harsh. I didn't, I didn't mean it that way. That's not how I think of you. I really respect you. I want to honor you, not tear you down. Help us to be humble and quick to apologize. And Lord, I pray against any condemnation this morning. From what we've been talking about, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But Holy Spirit, we do invite you to bring conviction where it's needed. And we pray that you would bless all of us throughout this beautiful summer week that we have coming up. Bless our families, bless our coworkers, and help us to be a blessing to all of them. Until we meet again next week, in Jesus' name, amen.